friends, countrymen, Ontarians. Welcome to the Wild Ontario podcast. I am your host, James Alofs. Uh, this is episode one. We're starting off with a with a bit of a banger, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking to Heather Drudge of the Drudge Family Farm here in Ontario. Now, her farm is in the middle of the Greenbelt scandal. I'll leave it at that. Um, it's a wild story. The property was bought from them for $15 million. They're still farming it. And it's now worth $300 million after the developer went to Doug Ford's daughter's wedding. He got an MZO to have the thing taken out. It's quite a conundrum. It's quite the crazy story. So first time anybody from the Drudge family is uh, talking with the media, I am humbled to have this opportunity. And, uh, you know, we talk about conservation of human health, wildlife, and wilderness here on the Wild Ontario podcast. Uh, think about uh, supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash wildontario. Uh, we have different support tiers there. Enjoy the first episode of the Wild Ontario podcast. So so nice to talk to you. Heather Drudge, welcome to the uh, Wild Ontario uh, podcast. So, you know, I first became aware of you because you sent me a DM a few months ago when I was doing some like, you know, Greenbelt uh, uh, videos. And you're like, keep pulling this thread. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay, you know, well, this is just a normal person out there, Ontario, interested in this stuff. And then little did I know that you are actually intimately aware of what's going on uh, because your family farm was in the green belt and you you've lived through this very interesting story that's all over the front page of the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail and and everything right now in Ontario it's 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 pretty yeah. crazy, right so it uh, is maybe it is. you know introduce you like where did you where were you born and where was your farm and did you grow up on the farm and maybe just some of the, that kind of stuff yeah absolutely uh yeah I was born in Scarborough I grew up on the gum um I actually had no idea that those articles were coming out. So I was, I was like sh shocked a little bit because it's been, you know, a few years of, of my own experience and hoping that this would be like a broader story. So to see that happening is, is pretty surreal. Um, but yeah, in terms of me, um, so I come from like a multi-generational Mennonite farming family on my dad's side. Um, my dad and my grandfather uh, both grew up on like a family dairy farm down in Box Grove, which is like east part of Markham near Steeles Avenue. Uh, just yeah, just north of Steeles. And it was actually expropriated by Ontario Hydro in 1980. And then my grandfather purchased the farm um, that I grew up on at the very north end of Markham. And he sort of semi retired and my dad took over the farm like farming piece of it full time and had a carpentry business and uh, so yeah, that was like, that was my, that was my uh, existence growing up. Um, and then I guess it would have been at least probably a decade ago now, maybe longer. Um, but there was just increasing interest, obviously, in land in the area. And <laughs> the property has a couple of houses on it. So I grew up in one and then there's a, actually a heritage home on the property, uh, on the Greenbelt portion of the property. Uh, that my grandparents grew up in. And so people would drive in like realtors, developer representatives, whatever, just out of the blue and be like, do you want to sell? Do you want to sell? And so it was this long standing sort of thing that we intending with to some degree. And then in 2017, um, my grandfather was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so we started having to really significantly make decisions around what was going to happen with the property. Um, <clears throat> just because land value from 1980 to 2017, that's a big, 
there was a lot that happened there and the property value had gone up significantly. And unfortunately for our, our particular circumstances, because of the tax implications, um, selling the property was the only option for us. Um, my grandfather who owned it was obviously palliative and, um, had he passed, there would have been millions of dollars in capital gains, land transfer, all of that stuff. Um, and there are ways, like I should be clear, there are ways for farm families to avoid, but um, like passing down agricultural lands, um, but it's not always so simple. And there was like five next of kin in our situation and there just wasn't a viable option for us to keep it. Um, and I only mention that because a lot of people, when I have this conversation are like, well, why didn't you just keep this? And, and there's a gap, I think, in understanding of why we're losing these family farms in the first place. Um, and I would say that generally speaking, at least anecdotally, from my understanding, it's not because families want to give them up. Um, and so, yeah, like living in the GTA, the land values, it just quickly becomes untenable. Um, and that was very much, uh, much the case for us. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, so your grandfather bought this, what you said in 1980, this one yeah. two acre parcel, you think about if someone owning a home anywhere in the GTA, if you bought a piece of property in 1980, fast forward to 2023, literally like 43 years later, it would have seen an enormous increase. So you're yeah. just part, you're just, you know, part of that entire trend. And so many people have enjoyed that wave, right? Especially, you know, the, Absolutely. The, the, the baby boomers. Um, so that's really interesting. And you said a Mennonite family. So, sorry, this is a personal question. What's the difference (laughs) for me? Uh, what's the difference between Mennonite and Amish? I always forget this. There are a lot of parallels. Like I grew up in like a secular sort of version of that, but I have family that is like plain clothes, doesn't use electricity. Um, yeah, the whole, the whole nine yards. So there are a lot of parallels in that sort of like if you're, it's what we call old order Mennonite, um, to the way that the Amish live as well. And then in terms of it, it's just like a sect of Christianity that's, you know, pacifist, Anabaptist, pretty chill, <laughs> salt of the earth humans. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Whenever, say, whenever someone says Mennonite or Amish, I think of the film Witness. Have you seen that with Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis? I have. Oh my God, as a, as a Mennonite or ex-Mennonite yourself, I mean, you got it. You got to check out that film. Uh, I will. Uh, but uh, anyways, that's crazy. So um, your grandfather or your family was farming in Markham and yep. they had land that was expropriated by uh, Hydro One, you said, and then they were yep. given money from the government. And then so then your grandfather bought another parcel further north, it's 102 acres. And that's where you grew up. Is that correct? Or you said you grew yeah. up in Scarborough. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Did you? No, I was born in I was born in Scarborough, but like grew up. Yeah, I grew up on the farm my whole life. Got it. Yeah. And what what yeah. were you guys doing um, on the farm? Like, what was the farm? You said your father had a carpentry business. Um, was there active yeah. farming going on there? Yeah. All yeah. Always. Um, it shifted over the years to different crops. Anything from like hay to wheat to soybeans to um, corn, like feed corn sweet corn. The last few years it's been soybeans or sweet corn. When I was a kid, we had, um, like my dad would raise a small, like amount of beef cattle. Cause there was pasture lands in the green belt. So the way the property is configured is kind of interesting. It's a, it's a hundred acres and 
70 of it, about seven, uh, probably 80 of it, I guess, was farmed. And then there's like a 20 acre strip, right, that actually splices the entire property into two. That's Greenbelt. So there's a there's a big pond that my grandfather had dug in like a low land and then a creek that runs through it. And so it's a pretty magical place. Like he semi-retired when he bought it. And so he basically just spent his time like planting trees and flowers and just making it this really incredible oasis. Um, I certainly didn't have an appreciation for it when I was like a teenager because I didn't I wanted to be like close to looking back and like having been able to sort of grow out of that phase and leave home for a bit and come back it's a pretty surreal thing to like have had that childhood and have had that experience and it's becoming more and more rare that that is something that people get absolutely yeah and i've seen some pictures of the property and it looks stunning there's one picture that they use in the toronto star and there's all these other purple wildflowers they might even be like lavender i'm not sure if they were planted on purpose or what the situation is but it just looked Absolutely gorgeous. And I was looking at maps of the property and there seems to be some kind of, yeah, like creek that runs right mm. in the center of it. And that pond that you mentioned, do you know what that creek connects to? Like, is that part of the headwaters of the <clears throat> Rouge or the Don River? Or do you know? That's a good question. I know, um, I know that, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there was like, there's a conservation sort of effort I'm not sure how far they've gotten but um to create like a blue belt like as a sort of complement to the green belt to protect water systems and I believe it would be part of it um I'm not sure I know that it sort of terminates I think just south of us um but it's it's that's why there's that green belt strip it's the green belt basically is however many feet from the top of the riverbank on either side um and so, and then there's the other 10 acres that they were actually, I think, able to get taken out of the green belt that's disconnected from that middle piece. But um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting property. And if you actually zoom out and look at that whole block, that is the case for the two properties um, north of, of, of ours as well. They have sort of that same like natural heritage feature um, with the green belt through the middle. Got it. Got it. And yeah. before Flateau Developments purchases property from you, and this is the whole, you know, all the stuff that's in the news is about Flato Developments. Uh, recently, um, you you were saying that 30 acres in total were, were in the green belt before you sold it. Yeah. Yeah. So for the sake of simplicity, it's like, call it 100 acres, 70 of which was agricultural land, 30 of which was green belt. And so the purchase that they made was based on that. So based on there being 70 acres that they could theoretically eventually develop. Um, and I think the timeline for that is quoted in the star article was like, according to the Markham city planning department was 2041. And so we're here, you know, almost 20 years early. Um, and then, yeah, the there's 10 acres sort of on the one corner of the property that I believe they succeeded in having removed from the green belt. Got it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And those other 70 acres, they were probably zoned for agricultural use, not for industrial or residential use. Right. So no. it's like those other, those other acres, those 70 acres were readily available to be, uh, to used as, um, home construction when you sold that. Um, so we'll get into a little bit later, your very interesting comments about, you know, you guys didn't want to sell it, but many farmers, especially the closer you are to the GTA, 
the difficulty you have with actually keeping farmland in production. And this is such an important question here in Ontario. Yeah. Because everybody, especially Doug Ford, you know, they always say Ontario is this giant place. It's so huge. There's so much space. It doesn't matter whether you, where you build, but you know, me studying geography and university, it's like 5% of Ontario's arable land. Almost yeah. all of that is in the far south of the province, basically south of Lake Simcoe. There is some, you know, patches found in the north, like the Great yeah. Clay Belt and things like that. But especially the prime ag land, classes one, two, and three, where you can literally grow anything on it, that's almost entirely in the south. And in terms yeah. of the whole country, you know, 56% of all of our prime ag land in the country is in Southern Ontario. So it's really yeah. important that we're not, you know, paving all this over and we're building in the right places that we need to build. Um, and yeah. right now, since 2018, we're losing 318 acres of farmland every day. That's according to the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, right? So- It's devastating. It is. And like, it's, I don't think like the, the farmland that will now be developed on the property is class one and two farmland. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. This is what people don't know, you know, about class one and two. If you read the description for what class one farmland is, I remember this back in school. It's like you can grow pretty much anything in there. Right. A lot of people don't realize things like like the, the grass species, wheat, corn, rapeseed, these kind of things. They actually don't need very good soil quality. Like right. you can grow them on the Canadian shield necessarily in three inches of acidic soil. But um they're really like if you think about Niagara, if you think about um, the Holland Marsh, you know, growing things like stone fruits, like peaches and plums. It's like you can't grow that everywhere. There's no. like there's very limited areas you can kind of, you can grow that. So I mean, this this land is really important. So let's yeah. let's come back to that at the end because I really want to hear yeah. your opinion on how we can change the regulations to make farming an actual sustainable like you know family thing going into the future because it's so yeah. important for us, right? But you know. This property, you guys ended up basically having to sell it for financial reasons, and you mm -hmm. sold it to this developer, Flato Developments. So what happened after you guys sold that? I believe that was in 2017, right? So you sold it, yeah. you paid $17 million for it, but all the land- 15, but yeah, 15. 15, okay. Yeah. So this developer, um, <clears throat> what happened after that? And why would a residential real estate developer buy all this land that is not zoned for land development? Yeah. Well, to rewind a tiny bit, like before, like when we were in the process of sort of determining what we were going to do, we actually met with the planning department in Markham um, to just have a conversation around like, what is the development tra trajectory for this area? you know, what does this look like? And, and also to give some context, like even to this very day, there's no infrastructure in that area. Like the farm is on, there's two houses um, on the, on the property. One is on its own separate acre. That's not part of this conversation, but originally it would have all been on one property. They both have wells. They both have septic systems. Um, I lived there for a time during COVID and had to get like wireless, like cell phone internet because there's no internet on part of the road like it is a very interesting rural strip in Markham and Stouffville that just doesn't have but it really was sort of at this tail end of Markham development um and so so we sort of with that information and with the situation, just like the with my grandfather um, being palliative, 
sold the property with um with a 10-year leaseback agreement to be renegotiated at five years. Um, and then before we even hit that five years, the MZO was approved very quickly in early 2021. Um, and which was sh honestly shocking. Like at the time I had sort of been investing a lot of time there and, and sort of had some ideas of, of how this could go over the course of the next 20 years, like of building a little business on the green belt, some different things like that, that I was exploring. And obviously COVID changed that a lot, but, um, yeah, the MZO was approved. Uh, I think it was February, 2021, um, and like I said, it was shocking because they've left over developable land in Markham. Like there's, there's, you know, country side road blocks, which are not small of land that, you know, should be developed as servicing closer to it, all of that stuff. Um, and then, uh, and then everything just sort of shifted from there because they obviously were in a position to push forward 20 years ahead of schedule with their building plans and having, you know, this, this lease became inconvenient. And so I don't want to go too far into the nitty gritty of, of what that experience is, was like, but it was not a pleasant one. So were they, was Flato Developments essentially trying to do whatever it took to get you out of that leaseback agreement so that they could use the land for their own purposes as soon as humanly possible? That would be my take. Yes. Got it. And and would you say that that experience was was unpleasant? Oh, very much. It was it was it was just a roller coaster of of things. And I have lived there for the past few years, and so it was very much like something that was a huge piece of my life and like my experience during the pandemic and and since. So. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's just, it came out of the blue. We learned about the MZO application and I think it was within, it was within a month, if that, that it was approved. And that was a really interesting thing to witness too, because the planning department, like the city's planning department opposed it in the public meeting. And there were actually a number of citizens that sat on zoom all day during COVID to sort of opposition to it as well and it was very much just a formality felt like it just got rubber stamped at the end of that meeting and then everything sort of snowballed from there Jeez, did you did you run into somebody on those zoom meetings named jenny laforestier in terms of the advocates oh. you know on the um the markham i'm just i'm just curious did you remember that name no i don't actually Okay, so this, yeah, there's this lady named Jenny LaForcier who just passed away, unfortunately, recently. Oh. And she was Markham, uh, Vaughn, um, you know, Caledon, Peel, all of these regional planning meetings. When she saw sketchy stuff going on like this, like your situation, she would be there. She would get friends uh. out, even pulled me out to a few of these things, like in terms of the Zoom meeting things. And yep. uh, she was an absolute bulldog and just, you know, being there advocating for this kind of stuff. But it's really unfortunate, like you said, I think a lot of people don't know what an MZO is, the minister ministerial zoning order, right? And this is a tool, I think it was originally intentioned to, you know, for example, if you needed to urgently build something like a hospital or a school, and there was a portion of a particular property that was not zoned for that, or, you know, there was space that was needed for a, a, uh, a rare kind of, you know, 
thing that a community really needed so that you needed yeah. to cut through the local planning laws to make that happen. And Doug Ford, unfortunately, since he has come in power, from what I know, he has used more ministerial, ministerial zoning orders than all the previous premiers combined. He's using them left, right, and center. I see news stories all the time about people outraged that he steps into some community the whole, like the mayor, all the town councilors, the planning department, like in your situation saying, there's no inf infrastructure out there, babes. It's like, with, there's land within our municipal, within our municipal boundaries that the land planners have opened to development. It's greenfield land, it's sitting there, it's ready to go, there's infrastructure there, develop that first, right? Mm -hmm. And then a minister, so many of these MZOs that Doug Ford is doing, he's coming in, He's rezoning all of these parcels that really are inappropriate to be rezoned and that are going to be an absolute clusterfuck um, for the, the local municipalities of service. And what happens in these scenarios? So if, for example, in Markham, if they do need to build out infrastructure to your property right away, the plumbing, the roads, the electrical networks, the cell towers, like you said, you couldn't even get cell service where you were, um, that is insanely expensive. And who ends up yeah. paying for that in the long run? It's the citizens of Markham. Your tax, your tax, uh, taxes go up. You know, the developer pays for the initial installation and whatever it is, five or ten years. But after that, this kind of you know sprawl development or you know infrastructure being built to areas that are like little islands, like your property, it's just it's so wasteful. So Doug Ford is bulldozing yeah. all these MZOs through. When the whole crazy thing is at the same time, there's all this land that's available. There's yeah. all this land that's available. And we'll get into later, you know, about the um, the reasons why developers like this, or maybe just right now, you know, developers like this because when they buy a parcel like yours that's not zoned for this, and it's really far from infrastructure and all this kind of stuff, the market prices that very cheaply. Yeah, exactly. Parcels. Yeah. But like the Flato Developments developer, I'm forgetting what the guy's name is. He was at Doug Ford's daughter's wedding. There's multiple pictures of him and Doug Ford together at various events, and. Um, when you can, when the your pre, the premier is your buddy, and he can rezone land like yours, and use a ministerial ministerial zoning order and over you know ride all the local planning um, uh, uh, planning plans for the area, um, the valuation of that land skyrockets. It's yeah. literally like this is the most common form of municipal or provincial corruption, is influencing politicians to rezone land that should not probably be rezoned. So mm -hmm. maybe we'll get that back into that a little later. Uh, you sold it in 2017 for 15 million and you were leasing it back. So you kept living on the property. What, what was you and your family doing on the property for those last few years out there while you still had the lease? Yeah, like it, the, the land is still has crops planted on it. Like this season, like there's, I believe a soybean crop on it. Last year there was sweet corn um it's being farmed like the land is still being farmed and there's still food growing on it I had a, like the last five years had a giant organic garden there um on the greenbelt land my grandfather actually you mentioned like fruit trees and that he was like he had a green thumb and so there's a little orchard with peach trees and plum trees and apple trees and uh um yeah. So it was just, it was like, a, especially during the pandemic, like the height of that, it was a, an oasis to, to be in. And like, it was that, especially that time was such a reminder to me of the importance of, of those spaces. Right. And of, of that. And I mean, we can get into a like nerd out on urban planning a little bit if you want, but I mean, that's like, that's, that's also something that 
you know, this started, this started for me as like, I love this place. It's the only place I've ever called home my whole life. And, you know, it was very personal in that sense. And then I quickly realized that it's so much bigger than that, like that this issue is happening all over the place. And that we unfortunately here in in Ontario, in Canada, even maybe in North America, you can extrapolate to that, that we have these competing ideologies around the the land either needs to be developed or it needs to be conserved or farmed. And I I very much lean towards the keep farming it, conserve it, that like less. So think that there's a version of the future where we're a little bit more imaginative, like both ends of that spectrum are a little bit more imaginative. Um, and we can create communities that integrate these natural spaces and aren't just like pave it all over, put up a bunch of shoebox homes where everybody has like barely any grass. You know, like I have friends who live in town and they can't get their lawnmower from their garage to their backyard. They have to take it through their house because the space between their houses is so tiny. Like it's crazy. And there's a blueprint for it all, right? Like I've lived in, I've lived in France and the UK in my twenties and, you know, London is 40% public green space. Like it's there, there are ways of integrating. Like we, the, this is the other thing about these developments that are happening. It's like the infrastructure conversation but there's, they're not walkable communities. People can't go pop to the grocery store. They're car focused communities. And that in and of itself, like there's this claim around affordable housing, but how are you providing affordable housing that people have to own a car to live in? What is the, tra like, what is the transit infrastructure? So living other places where, you know, city or you have a transit system that is really effective and accessible. We don't have to reinvent the wheel to make, these things happen for us here um but i think like it takes some imagination and it takes looking like it takes more money like you know and instead we're we're making these short-sighted decisions prioritizing profit for the few against the wishes of the many or the best interest of the many and a lot of these decisions are nearly irreversible right like you you pave over class one farmland that's gone more or less like Maybe there's a version of the future where we all get out our jackhammers and get it out of there, but it's it's not something that you can reclaim easily. And and like you said, like you know, I'm obviously grieving, sort of what what I've lost and what my family has lost, but it's also this collective loss that we're experiencing that I think we need to pay attention to because, like we were talking about earlier, that prime eggland is a really scarce resource in Canada, but also globally and the the building of intentional communities is not something that's happening and and natural spaces are not and space to grow food is not being prioritized and it's going to add up i think to um you know not a great situation down the road absolutely yeah i mean food security is so huge it's so huge i remember yeah. talking to my wildlife biologist friends they were talking about like snowshoe hares and they're like listen if there is enough food on the landscape to feed a thousand hares there will be a thousand hares if there's enough food to feed a hundred hares there will be a hundred hares and that's the whole you know fear with uh agricultural production people don't realize like food security has been arguably the number one threat to humans as they, it is all animals in the world right <laughs> um 
So food security, we take it for granted these days, but it's a really big issue, especially with all this climate chaos stuff going on, because there's going to be huge shifts in uh, the, pr the, pr the productivity of a lot of our arable lands all around the world. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely very scary. So, yeah. um, were, were they able to basically force you off the land? Did they somehow jack up your rental rate? Is that how the actual mechanism they use to get you off the land? Quick break from the Wild Ontario podcast, everybody. If you feel like supporting us on patreon.com, patreon.com slash Wild Ontario, that'd be greatly appreciated. The more support we can get, the more content I can put out. Um, and uh, uh, there's a bunch of different benefits at each support tier from $5 all the way up to $50. And uh, one of the big things is, hey, I do a weekly live stream uh, video on Patreon for Patreon supporters. It's uh, on uh, Wednesday nights where I talk about everything that's going on in Ontario, what I'm concerned about, what I'm excited about, what I'm sad about, etc. And you can interact with me live on those live streams. Um, and that's exclusively for our supporters on Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash Wild Ontario. Enjoy the rest of the, this Wild Ontario podcast. Yeah, there was, there was, you know, they, they did what they, they did. And, and another piece of it too is like, in terms of farming, once that is no longer viable, like, and, and there was even like, there was, you know, they do surveys and stick stakes in the ground and all of that. So it just became a lot to contend with in terms of like, again, it, it put us in this position of, we have to make a decision based on circumstances that we're now being faced with us anymore. And it gets to a point too, where, you know, it's affecting your day-to-day -day life. It's affecting your mental health. It's affecting, you know, what kind of like future plans you're making. And so we decided, you know, earlier this year, end of last year, earlier this year, that um, we would extend the lease for one more year, like till the end of 2023. And, um, and then that will be that will be it for us. Got it. Got it. So is your is your father is your father and mother still out on the property? Um, my dad is still, my dad is still there and I, uh, have been there quite a bit this year as well, but, um, sort of making moves to, to settle in somewhere else. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting setting the mm -hmm. table here, you know, so recently there was this article in the Toronto star talking about how Flato developments, I guess has tried to split the property into four different parcels and they sold what, as far as I can tell, it's about 25% of the property to, I don't know, some other company um, for $62 million. They bought it for, for 15 million from you guys. They sold part of the property for 62 million without any, even, you know, building any homes on it. It's unclear that any homes will get built on that parcel. We don't know. It's just very sketchy because the whole reason that the minister's zoning order was given for this is under the uh, assumption that we, we, you know, we need homes. We need to build homes. Yeah. It's such, it's such a crisis. Um, but this developer has already sold off a parcel to somebody else. It's like, it yeah. looks so sketchy um, from the outside that uh, this, this whole thing is going on. I also saw, I believe it was like uh CBRE or maybe Jones Lang LaSalle put the market estimate on your property right now, its value since it was rezoned under that MZO at I think it's three hundred and thirty million dollars. Like I think what, I saw three hundred and eleven, but yeah, it's it's honestly like I can't even wrap my head around that. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
what if you were at Doug Ford's daughter's wedding, right? Like this guy, I forget what his name is. Um, he was at Doug Ford's daughter's wedding, right? Hanging out with Dougie and probably in a lot of other private social situations with the premier. Don't you think that your family would have liked to have your, your land rezoned while you still owned it? And instead of selling it for 15 million, you could sell it for 300. I'm not saying that you would do that, right? Because that yeah. is basically... It's almost like if this was the stock market, essentially what the, the this is, is like insider trading. This is what this uh, developer and the premier are doing. And all the time with the stock market, it's different than the real estate market. People do hard jail time for insider trading, right? So this is very dangerous what these guys are doing. Um, but it's like, if it was my family, for God's sake, of course I would would have wanted it to be reasonable. If my objective was to sell it, right? Yeah. I'm just saying this because- it's crazy. Like this goes to show how yeah. unfair this is. Like you don't have, your family did not have a personal relationship with Doug Ford. So you were unable to get it rezoned and you missed out on literally $300 million of potential financial gain, which is crazy. And I'm not saying that you would do that, right? Because it's very sketchy, unethical, probably illegal what this person is doing. But, but how does that make you feel? Like when you saw that valuation number of $311 million, like what did that make you feel? Yeah, it's interesting. I I have done a lot of, of sort of personal, you know, soul searching the, through this whole process. And I, I don't think you can know what decision you'd make if you were in that circumstance. But I, all I would have wanted, all I wanted, even, even with the money that my family did make, like it was, I would have loved for it to have stayed a farm, to have stayed Greenbelt, to have stayed, um, you know, this sort of natural space in a community that is, that is, you know, exploding with urban sprawl. If, if there, if there was an ideal universe and I could make that happen, that would be the choice that I would make. And the reality is, is that we couldn't have done anything differently, right? Like there's no world in which we could have had the property rezoned or we could have had those 10 acres removed from the green belt. Um, that's just not feasible for everyday, you know, landowners. Um, and so I think I, I can't speak for obviously everybody um, in my family, but the, the people that I am closest with and have had this conversations with there's just a measure of acceptance and we did everything that we could do that we, you know, we made the decisions that had to be made when they had to be made. And I, you know, I think we're all just kind of shocked obviously at, at what, um, of, at what's transpired, uh, especially with this latest, like the severance and the sale of that plot of it and all of that. Like, again, we'd had no idea, like that was all happening in the background and until, and until it becomes public record, you don't know, that it's happening. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's surreal. It's, it's a crazy, that's a crazy amount of money. Like one, I can't even conceptualize. Um, but in terms of like me and what my values are, I, there's a lot that comes before massive financial gain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, I'm pretty sure that you could characterize what these flat of development guys did is essentially some kind of uh, corruption. It may be illegal. There may be people that go to jail. So it's not like it was a viable option for you guys to do that, right? So no. it wasn't an option on the table. It's like your family sounds like long-term farmers, you know, very ethical, love the land. It it wasn't even an option in your mind. 
it's just, yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be mind boggling to see these shifts that have been made on your property, this hundred acre parcel, and for it to be all over the front page of the Toronto star and the globe and mail and all this stuff, you know, if it was, if it was a slow news time, this would be like, this is all that everyone would be talking about. I think this property, the fact though, that he also did these 7,400 acres primarily, yeah. you know, out in the DRAP, the Duffin Rouge Agricultural Preserve out, out near Pickering and Ajax. And then I guess part of those parcels were also up in King County um, that Michael Rice owned. But um, all the sketchiness that's going on with that stuff too, you know, it's kind of blending together. But I think your specific situation is so egregious and I think it's going to piss people off so much because these Flato guys have already sold a parcel without building a single home and made this enormous financial gain, right? And just even seeing the buying for 17 and selling, you know, and it now being worth, or buying for 15 and it now being worth 311. This is the whole crazy thing is it's completely unnecessary because there's so much land that's approved for development that land planners have chosen, right? That are around the fringes of building existing built up infrastructure that they want developers to develop on first. Now, it's the holy grail for a residential development company in Ontario to get Doug Ford to rezone agriculturally zoned or greenbelt zone land because you get this massive valuation increase, right? Um, but you have to do it essentially through corruption. So let's point out, there's a lot of developers out there. You don't see their names involved in any of this stuff at all yeah. because they don't play. They play by the rules. You know, they're good ethical people like any other group, right? There's good apples and there's bad apples. There's some great, you know, development companies out there that do a very important job building homes for us. Um, yeah. What you mentioned about the planning department of Markham saying, listen, we're not going to be able to get infrastructure out there in an affordable, a financially responsible way until 2040. Um, this is one of the crazy things about the DRAP too, is that the Pickering, I believe it's the Pickering Town Council, like in Markham with your property, the mayor, the whole council voted against developing the DRAP because to, for them, I think the land planner in Pickering said it would take 20, it's going to take 25 years. If we were forced by this development to build out the roads and the plumbing network and the electrical network to the DRAP, it's going to take 25 years to do that. So the whole narrative from Doug Ford, right? I'm doing this. I'm rezoning these parcels because I want to get homes built quickly. I think it's it's a giant load of shit. It's a giant load of shit. If it's going to take 25 years to build all of the infrastructure, the only people that are gaining from this are these land developers who are personal friends of Doug Ford. All the land that could be developed right away and that's free to buy, right? There's insane amounts of it. So the number that I keep on seeing, it's about 300 square kilometers in the greater Toronto Hamilton area. If you look at all the urban existing urban boundaries around Markham and Pickering and Ajax and Oshawa and Hamilton, 300 square kilometers to put that in, 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 um, in uh, comparison is bigger than the size of Paris, France. That's how much land we have. So Flato Developments being able to get Doug, to to get Doug Ford to rezone your land because Doug Ford's narrative is we don't have any land to develop. It's absolute bullshit. And I'm not sure if you are aware of these numbers that I'm talking about. You may have already been aware of them. But does that not make you feel more angry? The fact that rezoning your land is going to do nothing to solve the housing crisis in the province because land is not the problem. There's right. so much land. Like, how, how does that make you feel? Like, does that make you feel more upset or what? 
Yeah, definitely it does. And I mean, I think it's just, <clears throat> there's so many, like, it's like the world is on fire <laughs> type thing. Like there's so many things that we're all sort of collectively contending with right now. And to me, this seems like something that is just easy to do better. It's easy to do this better. We have, like you said, we have land within urban boundaries that can be developed or redeveloped to include more housing that will be, you know, more accessible to people who don't want to live a car forward or can't afford to. Um, I think that it's just that, yeah, it's, 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 irresponsible to operate in this way with the resources that we have like the land resources that we have that would be more um more responsible to develop sooner and I think too like there's also uh like I was saying earlier it doesn't take we're not reinventing the wheel we don't have to reinvent the wheel there's a blueprint for all of this and like you said too there's developers that are building responsibly that are are you know following the the proper processes um this is not in ontario but through this whole experience i actually had the the fortune the good fortune to connect with a development firm out in british columbia who have developed a property in delta that was a really sort of contentious piece of land it's quite some of it's ecologically quite sensitive um and they are building like a agriculturally focused community there have invested in restoring you know heritage houses and farm structures on this land they are working with farmers to continue farming on some of this land and they're building homes and it's a very sort of well thought out um community that like I look at that and I would be like I'd live there I grew up on a farm I'd love I love living rurally and I would live there like but it takes time and it takes you know, becoming part of the community that you're going to build in, uh, understanding what people want, understanding the land, and then making a greater financial investment at the end of the day to build something that has that sort of baked into it. And we're not doing that in Ontario anywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the frustrating thing is, is some of these land planning, like a lot of these, these, these like really good land planning practices, people don't realize the technocrats in our government, technocrat being a person that's not politically elected, that essentially maintains their job over time, right? The political figurehead switch, but yes. the land planners, you know, they're hired. These people go through at minimum six years of school, sometimes eight or 10, if they're doing, you know, I guess maybe you can do a PhD in land planning, but they are highly trained in the best land development uh, practices in the world, right? So you yeah. need, we really should be listening to these people. It's like, listen, we need to build here. We can't build on these islands all out in these different directions. There's all the problems with, you know, food security, but there's also, listen, you're going to jack up the cost of your municipal taxes if you're not developing in a smart way. There's a reason totally. you know, you're developing in concentric circles out from the, you know, the existing built up area, but mm -hmm. something to mention about what you said about, you know, 2040 and building out the infrastructure there. I was on another podcast recently and I was talking about the DRAP and how, you know, the, the land planners estimate it's going to take 25 years to build the infrastructure out there. And I, there was a bunch of people in the comments saying like, oh, listen, I live in Pickering and I could drive by that property right now. And, you know, there, there's a, there's a pump house with some kind of uh, you know sewer that I see that's right right near the 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 DRAP area, it's like guys, it's like 
just because there's a road and some electrical wiring and there's some piping there already, it doesn't mean like if this is a hundred acre property, I don't know how many homes they're, they're planning to build, but in the DRAP, I think you're talking about 5,000 acres. They want to build 30,000 homes there. If you assume like four people per house, that's 120,000 people already. Whereas previously there may have been like 30 people or 50 people that lived in the entire area. So the kind of infrastructure you need for a subdivision is yeah. totally different scale from what is exist, you know, existing there um, totally. you know, right now. So that's something I think to keep in mind with what you're saying about where your property is in North Markham, because some people might say, it's like, well, there's a road there. What are you talking about? It's like the, the infrastructure is already there, but it's, yeah. It's pretty rustic in and around. I was looking at your prop, the um, not on Google Maps, but just some maps, some maps. I think it was in the Toronto Star article of your property. Yeah. But um, is your property on septic tank or is like the yep. house there? Is it on septic? It is. It's on septic and well water. Yeah. So like there, there's no, no, there's none of that infrastructure. I believe there's natural gas at the road, like that you could bring in, like, to the houses that are there um but in terms of yeah in terms of like wastewater management um and and town water like it just it doesn't exist there yet at all and it's not just like the building of the infrastructure is expensive but then your main for how long for this community that's set so far apart from the rest of your the rest of your municipal like your urban center and so yeah there's that too it's 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 a lot of different pieces of this puzzle that are, uh, it, it's not, it's, there's not a lot of sense in it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know, there's another organization called the Ontario, I believe it's the Ontario Farmland Trust yep. Association, or it's some acronym like OFTA, OFLTA, something yep. like that. And um, they go out and they get essentially like agricultural easements, as far as I mm -hmm. understand, you know, on properties. They are limited though, because these easements, I think these easements can sometimes be, you know, essentially they'll pay somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong on this, between 10 and 30% of the value of the property. And they get a legal easement put on a farm. And then that means that that farm can never be used for anything else yeah. other than agriculture, or I guess, you know, just being returned to nature. They are limited though, because A, they have a very limited budget on what they can buy. And because yeah. your farm, like, I don't think these guys are putting any easements on farms in Markham because no. having farmland within the Markham city, you know, miserable boundary, that property is going to be way too expensive for them to come in and afford to put a um, an agricultural easement on your property is what mm -hmm. I'm saying correct? And did you did were you ever contacted <laughs> the the farmland trust? Um, so I actually contacted them. <laughs> oh, um, I and so yeah, I had a I had some I was in conversation with them now just to gain an understanding of that. And I actually have uh, friends who um operate a business on a, on a piece of land in the GTA that has an easement. I'm not sure if it's through that or if it was the family that originally owned it. Um, but basically had the resources to say like, we're going to ensure that this remains natural space, farmland, um, et cetera. Um, but yeah, the, the conversation, it was, it was a while back now. So my, my sort of exact recollection is a bit fuzzy but that was essentially it. Like that organization is doing incredibly important work. And there are people that can, that that's an option or, or basically put their property up for these easements. 
um, but the cost to maintain them is uh, is really high when you're in an area like the greater Toronto area where land value is what it is and where when you have development cropping up, you know, you have more people and what are the risks associated with that too, so. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting tool. And, you know, um, I would love to speak to those guys to see, you know, how much money they actually have. Uh, because it's, again, I don't think that they'll be able to ever, you know, intervene in the land. I guess it's, a, it, I guess it's called the white belt, right? Like the lands that are between the existing urban boundaries in the GTHA and the green belt. Um, people will be also be surprised. Like you need to look at a map of this stuff. It's like the white belt is huge. The yeah. amount of land that's between the built up, you know, cities and the green belt. I think everybody out there has in their mind. It's like, the fringes of, you know, Vaughn and Markham, and then immediately you're into the green belt and like we're being suffocated by the green belt, but there's an enormous, the white belt is freaking huge. And again, yeah. the available land for development within existing urban boundaries that I don't even think is technically part of that greater white belt is 300 square kilometers. It's bigger than the size of Paris, France. So the whole narrative from Doug Ford about there's no land, this is, you know, our housing crisis, it's absolute bullshit. His own, you know, affordable housing task force. I don't know if you ever saw that document that came out. He chose the guy who's like the head of Scotia Capital Markets, you know, who is a conservative, uh, I think, party member to lead that study. So this is not like David Suzuki, right? Or Heather Drudge, the passionate farmer leading the study. And they came to the, that exact conclusion, which is if you're going to solve the housing crisis, more land is not needed at all. This is what makes your right. situation so frustrating is that Doug is lying to the public about why he rezoned the Drudge family farm and taken part of it out of the Greenbelt. He's lying to us about it. It's not needed at all. The only person that needs this is Flateau Developments. And they've just seen the value of the property go from 15 million to $331 million. It makes me sick. It absolutely makes me sick. If his own affordable housing task force says more land is not needed, it's like, that's not the problem. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw, Heather, but in the past 12 months, there were 500,000 people, I think, net in migration to Ontario. And over that same period, we built 65,000 new units of housing. The mismatch between demand and supply is mind boggling. That's yeah. not missing it by a little bit. We already no. have a housing crisis. We've just essentially brought in another 400,000 people that don't have a home. Mm -hmm. It's like the problem is so enormous. And it also involves, to be honest, like the sustainability of our federal immigration targets, because this is a seller's market, right? The real estate prices are enormous. The developers are building houses as fast as they can in Ontario. They were only able to build 65,000 units in the past 12 months. It's yeah. crazy. I don't know if you've heard about this, Heather, but there's a big also labor shortage in the housing industry, especially with like mm -hmm. skilled positions, electricians, plumbers, specialized like concrete forming and pouring guys. Okay. There's a big shortage on these people. That's one of the, they can't build any more houses than that. Um, and this is something that Doug Ford's not talking about, not sharing with anyone. Um also, the pipeline of people to replace those high-skilled laborers in our home construction industry is not even 50% of what it needs to, to be to replace the existing ones that are retiring. So Yikes. it's 
it's it's a it's such a big problem. It's like there's the demand and supply situation is so out of whack. Um, yeah. Even if they rezone the Heather Drudge, the sorry, the Drudge family family farm, and the Duffins Rouge Agricultural Preserve, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which is really really crazy. You seem to know a lot about urban planning. Did you look into all of this stuff while you were going through this process, or did you like study some of this kind of stuff at school? Or no, I did not study any of this. This is all just being sort of baptism by fire, trying to gain an understanding of what was happening and what could be done better. And um, it's been, yeah, it's been a very educational for me. Um, and it certainly has changed uh, how I view, uh, yeah, how I view like our cities and where I want to live and the places that I've traveled. And it's it's put that whole new lens on on all of that. And uh, I, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm certainly, I'm like, a, I'm a pretty glass half full person as you might be able to tell. But, uh, but it, it is, it is devastating to see the opposite being done. And so rampantly, like you said, like, and, and the bottlenecks in the construction industry and all of that and the housing crisis, it's, it's just, there's no, um, the more land answer isn't the answer that's going to get us the houses quicker. For sure. For sure. Yep. A hundred percent. Um, what do you want to see happen to your land now? Like best case scenario, what do you want to see happen to it? Do you think if you could, you know, snap your fingers and, and make, I'm not talking about like, you know, you win the lottery and then you make $300 million and you buy it back, you know, from flat out developments, but you know, among (laughs) the possible outcomes of this, you know, like Doug Ford gets thrown in jail and they have to put all the green belt land back and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like what, what do you hope? What do you hope is going to happen? And what do you think is going to happen with your, your hundred acre family farm? That's an interesting question. I, I hope that the, in terms of the greenbelt stuff, I really hope that the decision overall provincially that's happened around the lands that have been removed, I hope that that gets reversed. If you've looked into the greenbelt at all, or have an understanding of how it was established originally, it was done with very, very, by very, very educated people and with precision in order to protect very specifically important green spaces and it's legislated. And so that is something that I think needs to uh, needs to be walked back. I think those lands need to all go back into the green belt and stay that way and that that needs to not be a precedent that we're setting here, which is unfortunately what's what is happening. Um, and I think that that's also part of the conversation is like all of these things set precedent that then down the down the line, people who want to do more of it can point at and be like, well, we've already done this, so we can keep doing this. And so that, especially pertaining to the green belt is concerning to me, especially pertaining to skipping over planning processes, like all of that. I don't think that that's precedent that we want to be setting at all. Um and then in terms of what happens, you know, what, what in my ideal world, what would happen? Um, I don't know. I don't know how we hold people accountable for, you know, the, the things that have, that have led to this. Um, I hope that there is some accountability. I think that taxpayers, landowners, like, you know, people like my, 
to deserve an answer as to you know how we got here in a in a few short years at that um and I mean, yeah, in my ideal world, I would win $300 million and buy the property back, but I don't think that's happening anytime soon. <laughs> um, and in terms of what I think will happen, um, I mean, they, the, anywhere I, in my understanding, and I may, I may be incorrect on this, but my understanding is that there is a mandate for them to start building um, within a certain time frame in order for them to be able to build on these greenbelt lands that have been removed. And so in terms of like the current trajectory, unless there's a big sort of seismic shift in this, um, I think probably two years, there's going to be shovels in the ground. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, I think a Hail Mary in all of this is maybe Stephen Gilbo, the federal minister of the environment, um, because he has come out and said, listen, um, we have the power. Now, this is in relation, I think, primarily to the Duffins Rouge Agricultural Preserve, which is those 5,000 acres, you know, yeah. along the side of the uh, the Rouge River over there and the Rouge, you know, National Urban Park um, that actually like there's a bunch of covenants on those properties that like the federal government gave this land to the province. So they have say in what happens. But I think what, what Stephen Gilboa said is that he will not step in until the actual like development permit has been issued. Because then okay. at that point, he knows exactly what the plan is, and then he can come in with his legal team and be like, no, 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 you cannot do this. So it, it sounds like he's biding his time, he's biding his time, and it might be for purely legal purposes. It also might be for political purposes in that maybe Doug Ford will get so much heat, or the RCMP will arrest him, or his own party will oust him and replace him with somebody else from the conservative party, which is what I hope is going to happen. Um, and uh, that he doesn't need to do this at all. Right. And that the green belt for purely political pressure reasons, the green belt land will get put back. What is what I think there's a very high probability that that can occur with the Duffins Rouge agricultural preserve, but mm -hmm. he has also made some comments about the green belt in general. So yeah, 30 acres of your land that was in the green belt, maybe he doesn't have any power over the 70 acres of your property that was zoned all agricultural. Maybe he doesn't have any power on that, but the 30 acres that was in the green belt, he may be mm -hmm. able to step in and reverse those decisions through some mechanism because that stream that runs through down the middle of your property and the lands that are surrounding it, um, if it is the headwaters of the Rouge or the, if it's in Markham, I'm guessing it, it maybe it could be the the east, heads of the East Dawn. Maybe it's the Rouge. Um, not 100% sure, but if there are any endangered or threatened species in that stream, mm -hmm. it makes it very easy for the federal government to step in and stop it. There's one thing called the, oh my God, it's called like the, the red something, the red-sided dace, something like that. It's this little cool fish that is a, <laughs> an endangered species. Most people have never seen it, nor will they see it, but it's this little dace, like kind of in the minnow family, and it shoots water out of its mouth to hit insects off of branches. I'm pretty sure that I'm getting this, this correct. It's a very That's cool crazy. little fish and it's endangered and if they're going to be developing on the lands directly beside the, the creek, you know, the feds may have the power to step in and save like your property, for example. So I don't, I think you should maybe even if you can, or you, you have the capacity to even get in touch with Stephen Gilbo's office and be like, listen, my land is part of this. 
and just have them send out a team and and do a a little biopsy of your of your stream because there mm-hmm. very well could be or there could be endangered birds there could mm-hmm. be mammals on your property because that is an absolute trump card that the federal environment minister can use to potentially you know save part of your property so i would definitely you know, recommend you reach out to them, but mm-hmm. you know, Thanks, I think yeah. we need to, we need to do a whole other podcast with you talking about the big issue of how do you keep uh, farmer families farming in Ontario without land speculators driving up the market and driving all these people out of out of this family this family industry. I think that's a whole other conversation. We're coming up on, on yeah. right now, but I would be fascinated to hear your opinions on those things. The mm-hmm. real on the ground, what's going on? Because this is such an important problem. Um, you yeah. got to keep these families farming because it sounds yeah. like you'd be out there in the fields farming yourself right now with your organic, uh, you know, vegetable garden and all that stuff. Um, if it wasn't for the crazy, you know, real estate crisis that we have right now, right? So, yeah. if well, and it's just prohibitive. Like it's absolutely prohibitive, especially for the next generation of farmers to get into the industry in Southern Ontario because of land values. I would love to have that conversation. And I know a lot of people who, you know, you know, we could pull in for that too, that are, are intimately, you know, familiar with it as well. And in different ways, because it is something that uh, I think is going pretty unnoticed. Absolutely. Yeah. We need to keep farmers farming. And uh, yeah. did uh, one of the podcasts I did is with the uh, uh, Reeve, which is another word for mayor of Howick, which is a farming community in Southwestern Ontario, not far from like Godrich. And she was talking about some of these issues about like the land speculation stuff in terms of bill 23, but she could have, be an interesting person to, you know, to talk together with you on this kind of stuff. But um yeah. Anyways, Heather, thank you so much. It's so greatly thank appreciated. You. And uh, what a crazy story about your family farm. My Lord, fingers yeah. crossed that the gods are on your side and things will go, you know, turn out as you, uh, as you like. Now, in terms of like your own business that you do or what you're working on, is there any, do you want to kind of maintain your social media an- anonymity or do you want to send anybody towards like an Instagram page or a website or something? Sure. Like yeah, I have, uh, just in terms of like what we did at the farm there for a number of years, um, the account is Reverie Farm CA. So people can kind of go back. That's that's going to give you a really good idea of the property and, you know, some of the stuff that we did there and just the, the natural, uh, the natural beauty that it is longer. Um, but I'm a, I'm a self-employed web designer, so people can find me if they're, if they're looking for that, but, uh, I'm just a big outdoors person and, and generally just share pretty pictures of nature on my, (laughs) on my Instagram. So if that's your thing, um, you can certainly come find me. Absolutely. Got it. So nature porn, nature porn. Yeah. Got it. I love yeah. it. Well, and then yeah. you can find you. Sorry, you just cut up there for a second. Your your personal Instagram is Heather Drudge, right? Yeah. That's your exactly, handle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Heather Drudge. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, may the God. Thanks so bless- much, James. No problem. May the gods bless bless you, Heather, and your family, the Drudge family. And uh, yes, great talking to you. You too. Thank you so much to Heather Drudge for coming on Wild Ontario podcast episode one, guys. We got eight podcasts recorded already. 
So I'm going to start feed them out there. If you want to support us, uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash Ontario. Again, I do a weekly live stream every uh, Wednesday night. And uh, there's a bunch of other cool different benefits and exclusive content that I'm be putting up on Patreon. And you can start supporting us for only five bucks a month. Everybody, and obviously we're putting out all our daily content uh, on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter, uh, generally between three and four different stories a day about Wild Ontario. So may the gods bless all you beautiful Ontarians out there. Don't forget to, uh, you can also check this out on YouTube, on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, and may the gods bless all you beautiful Ontarians. Thank you.